Good. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. That's going to be the, our starting point tonight. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read the first few verses here. Again, and then the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. Notice uh, Luke records this. He says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This evening, I want to think about, uh, as you can see here up on the screen, Bethlehem, the, the city of Bethlehem. Again, it's one of those things that maybe we only think about this time of year. When I say Bethlehem, what comes to your mind? You know, maybe you think of, well, well, you know, of course, that's where Jesus was born. You know, we talked a little bit about that this morning. Uh, but maybe, maybe you think of the star of Bethlehem, or maybe your mind goes to maybe a nativity scene that you've seen uh, when you've passed, uh, you know, maybe someone has one out in the front lawn. And maybe that's what comes to mind when you think of Bethlehem. But our ideas of Bethlehem probably are centered around, again, the birth of Jesus, and that's logical. But there's, uh, there's actually a great deal in the Old Testament about this city. And, you know, the Old Testament covers a vast amount of time frame from the creation to up about uh, 400 B.C. And so there's a lot of things going on during this time. And the Bible doesn't always use the term or name Bethlehem. You know, of course, there's been other, other settlers there before uh, it became known as Bethlehem. So sometimes when we read in the scriptures, we can find it under different names. Like, for instance, uh, Genesis 35, 19, uh, Ephrath is a name that it's often referenced to in scripture. Uh, we just read here in Luke chapter 2 about the city of David, also known as Bethlehem. And so again, scripture mentions Bethlehem multiple times, but sometimes it's not specifically by Bethlehem. And so, uh, we, so again, it's, there's a lot in scripture about this city that we're going to study tonight. But my, my three main points tonight are going to center around uh, three women. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about Rachel. We're going to talk about Ruth. And we're also going to talk about Mary. And, you know, really studying these, uh, these women and their accounts in Scripture, uh, you see these links all over uh, when it comes to Bethlehem. And it sort of just uh, wows you when you kind of see those. And hopefully it'll do that for you as well. Uh, from the reading that uh, I just read there, we learned, again, that Mary and Joseph, uh, they didn't choose to go to Bethlehem. That's significant. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but it was chosen for them. Right? They were there because of this census that the Caesar Augustus had proclaimed. And so because of that, because, uh, because Joseph was of uh, the city of David, because that was his, uh, his family's hometown, they had to travel from Nazareth in Galilee. And if I had a map up here, we'd be all the way up at the top of Israel. And they had to travel about 90 miles south to Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem means... Uh, the word means house of bread, house of bread. And whether that's because 
some people think it's because there was this great fertility in the soil and they were able to produce a lot of bread there. But in any event, you know, it's interesting to think that the bread of life, Jesus, the bread of life was born in the city that was called the house of bread. And Bethlehem is, as you read throughout scripture, it's pretty unimpressive. It's just a small little town, but again, at first glance, uh, there's uh, a lot of these links, a lot of significant links that we're going to notice here in the scriptures. And so uh, let's, let's notice Rachel here as we begin. Uh, her story begins in Genesis chapter 29. Uh, you remember Jacob's parents, uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Remember they send him away for really a couple of different reasons. Uh, the first one was because he and his twin brother Esau were not getting along. You remember, uh, you remember Jacob, how he stole his... Uh, Esau's birthright, and he also stole Esau's blessing, and so they're not getting along, so they want to send Jacob away. But secondly, they send Jacob away because they want him to marry a wife from basically their own clan. Uh, they didn't want him marrying a wife from the, uh, the women of Canaan, and so they send him back to his mother's uh, relatives. Uh, you remember Laban? Laban, that was, um, that was Rebekah's uh, brother, and so they send Jacob back to uh, her family, and he goes and finds a wife among Laban's clan. And as he approaches the area, uh, he runs into some shepherds. Uh, they're out in the field shepherding, and one of them was Rachel. Rachel was a shepherdess, and he immediately, you know, goes to her because he's uh, attracted to her. And they're talking to one another. He tells uh, her who he is. And, you know, they're all happy because they find out he's a relative of them, and Jacob's in love. Right? He is in love, uh, no doubt, right now. Uh, love at first sight, if you will. And you, you remember the story, right, that he's eventually going to work seven years to marry Rachel. But, of course, uh, Laban tricks him, and he ends up marrying Leah, the oldest daughter, first. And he has to negotiate for another seven years of work to marry Rachel as well. And uh, it's through Rachel and Leah and two of their handmaidens that the 12 sons, those 12 sons of Israel, those 12 tribes are going to be born and come forth from. But Rachel, Rachel was always Jacob's favorite. Uh, the last two sons that were born uh, for Jacob was Joseph and Benjamin through Rachel. Uh, remember, Rachel, she was barren for uh, most of the time that they were together, uh, but it, and, and that upset her quite a bit. You remember the sort of the rivalry she had with Leah. I mean, she said, she said to Jacob in Genesis 30, verse 1, give me children or else I die. Right? She wanted children badly, and finally God opened her womb. Well, as we move to Genesis chapter 35, Rachel is pregnant again. She's had Joseph, and now she's pregnant with Benjamin, and they're heading towards Hebron. They're, they're in the land of Israel. They're heading towards Hebron, and this is where uh, Isaac lived, Jacob's father, uh, Rachel's father-in-law. Uh, she's never met, but they're on their way there. But notice in Genesis chapter 35, starting in verse 16, it says, Then they, jour they journeyed from Bethel, and when uh, there was some dis still distance to go, uh, Ephrath Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. It came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Oni, which his father called him Benjamin. 
So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Rachel died on the outskirts of Bethlehem, so close to Bethlehem. Uh, you know, we don't really want to travel when, uh, you know, our wives are pregnant. It's not necessarily a good idea. You know, if you're going to travel on an airplane, you usually have to get a doctor's permission to do that. And we see the, the consequences of this traveling that happened between, uh, again, Rachel and Jacob as they traveled through the land of Israel, that she had to give uh, birth. And uh, again, it said that she went through severe labor and the midwife was there. Uh, but her life slowly left her, and there was nothing that she could do. But again, the significance here is where she died, and that was near Bethlehem. What is the significance of this location or this event? Well, let's fast forward about 11 centuries. Uh, this is during the time of the, uh, the, uh, of the divided kingdoms, of course. The northern tribe has already been taken away into captivity. The southern tribes are, have gone into Babylonian captivity. And the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, verse 15, he is... Uh, Again, uh, prophesying here. Notice what he says here. Jeremiah 35, uh, or excuse me, Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Uh, Notice what he says here. He says, Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Maybe that verse sounds a little bit familiar, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But Rachel, again, she was so important to the Israelite nation. She was the matriarch of Israel, of the 12 tribes. And it says here, a voice is heard in Ramah. Ramah is in the Bible is associated of the place where she was buried. Again, just on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And she is... Either, you know, some will take that verse saying that she was literally weeping as, um, you know, maybe she's realizing that she's no longer going to be able to be the mother of Joseph and Benjamin uh, because she is passing away. Or maybe this is a a figurative weeping, uh, or probably both, but a figurative weeping, uh, again, as she is representative here of the mother of Israel. Right? And as they go in, away into captivity, again, 11 centuries later, you know, she's weeping for her children as they're going away into captivity. Well, fast forward another six centuries to the days of Jesus, the time of Jesus. And, you know, we, we, uh, we didn't get to talk about this this morning, but there was that man Herod, right? Herod, who heard that there was born at that time the king of the Jews, and remember, he brings in all the chief priests and the scribes, and, and he's sort of acting uh, a little suspicious here, but he's saying, listen, where, uh, where is this going to happen? Uh, he sort of wanted to make it look like that he was interested in this, uh, this birth, in this announcement, but really he wanted to find uh, the, the, this king of the Jews and have him destroyed. Where is the Messiah to be born, he said. And they tell him, in Bethlehem of Judea. And they do that because they know the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Again, we'll talk about that here in a moment. And so he sends off those magi. He sends off those wise men off to find the baby and to come back and report to him uh, about what they found. But remember, they don't return because God spoke to them in in a vision and told them not to return. And because of that, Herod orders that decree to kill all the male children two years 
and younger in that vicinity of Bethlehem. Matthew, as he's writing his gospel account, Matthew chapter 2, verses 17, 18, look what he says. He says, when they had been spoken, or excuse me, then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. That was the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that we just read about. Through Rachel in Bethlehem. You know, Israel's heart, they're, they're broken at this time uh, in Matthew chapter 2 of, of the slaughter of these, uh, these baby boys in and around Bethlehem. And Jeremiah, uh, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew attributes the prophecy of Jeremiah to this event. And because of that, we also link Rachel to this event here in Bethlehem. Let's look at one more. Ruth. Uh, the book of Judges, you remember the book of Judges, right? It covers this 400-year time span uh, between the death of Joshua and the rise of Samuel, uh, the birth of Samuel. And you, you'd think by how Joshua ends that, uh, you know, that Judges might be a, a popular book, a, a good book to read, a positive book. But uh, as we learn, you know, they didn't get all the people out of the land of Canaan, all the um, uh, the foreigners, the non-Jews, they didn't get them all out of the land of Canaan. And because of that, the people there started to uh, get their idolatrous grip on the Jewish people, the Israelites. And, and they draw them into idol worship. And in fact, you know, it's a very sad book, the book of Judges. And it's a cyclical book, right? You read through it and um, you notice the people start serving other gods God leaves them, and the nations around them start to oppress the Israelite people, and they then cry out to God. God hears them and sends them a deliverer, a judge, people like Gideon and Samson. And they, uh, but then eventually, um, that whole cycle starts all over again throughout that book. But during this time period, the book of Judges, uh, the Holy Spirit records for us uh, one particular family that it picks out for us to... Uh, to read about. I'm going to turn to Ruth chapter 1 here for, uh, for these uh, verses. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Uh, it's recorded, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Epaphorites of Bethlehem and Judah. And now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. And so this family that you know the book of Ruth is centered around, they were Bethlehemites. They lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, but because of a famine, they moved into Moab. This is Gentile territory. Uh, the Moabites did not get along with the Israelites. But uh, during this time in Moab, you remember this, right? Naomi, she has a lot of loss. Uh, she loses her husband. She loses her two sons. And she's basically bitter at that point. You know, she says, call me Mara. She changed her name to Mara because she was bitter in life. And you remember the two daughter-in-laws? There was Orpah who basically said, listen, I love you, Ruth, but, or excuse me, I love you, Naomi, but I'm going to stay here in, in my land in Moab. But then there was Ruth who says, I'm going to go with you. Your people are my people. And so she goes back with Naomi to Bethlehem. They return to Bethlehem. And that is significant 
because the scriptures tell us that Ruth was part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus' bloodline has Gentile blood in it. It has Ruth's blood in it, Moabite blood in it. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 points that out to us, uh, that, the, that uh, this book of Ruth ends uh, with us learning some specific things, that Ruth marries this man named Boaz. Again, we're not going to have time to talk all about the book of Ruth, but she, she marries this man named Boaz, and they have a son named Obed. Obed, later on, has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David. David, the great grandson of Ruth. Well, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, we discover that both Joseph and Mary are from the lineage of David. Uh, Luke gives us the genealogy of Mary's lineage, you know, his biological lineage, but Matthew gives us Joseph's lineage, uh, a legal lineage, but they all point back to David. Again, Mary and Joseph were both of the house of David. And remember, they're living up there in Nazareth of Galilee. And because of the census, they have to come 90 miles south to the city of Bethlehem in order to register. Again, this was probably so that they could be on that, you know, that register roll, that tax roll uh, when it comes time to pay taxes. Uh, that's where they'd have to do that. And they traveled that great distance. Again, uh, you know, thinking back to Rachel and um, Jacob having to uh, make that great trip while pregnant. Joseph and Mary did as well. But remember, Naomi and Ruth, uh, just think about this. If Naomi and Ruth never go back to Bethlehem, we don't get Obed, we don't get Jesse, and we don't get David. And from that little insignificant Bethlehem comes a great king in whom it was promised that one of his descendants, one of your seeds, David, God said, is going to establish his throne and his kingdom will reign forever. And again, think of that amazing link that we see in the scriptures uh, with Bethlehem through Ruth. Finally, let's look at one more tonight. And again, this is Mary. Uh, but before we finish with Mary, I want you to notice one thing from the, the minor prophet Micah. We, we already kind of touched on this. But Micah chapter 5, verse 2 uh, the prophet wrote this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. You know, that prophecy that Micah made was written about 700 years before Jesus' life on earth. And that is the verse again that uh, that Herod referred to uh, when he had asked the scribes and, and those chief priests of where, of where uh, that the king of Jews was going to be born. It was this verse here. And so he sends the Magi off to find him. Well, notice this. And this is sort of a, a very significant point that Micah in this prophecy says, But as for you, Bethlehem Epaphrathah. That's significant because there, at that time there were two Bethlehems uh, in the land of Israel. There was a Bethlehem in Zebulun up in the northern area, but there was also Bethlehem of Judah in the south. You know, I often, uh, since moving to Columbia, when I've gone to, uh, you know, uh, polishing the pulpit this summer or whatever, talking to people about, you know, where I'm from, and I'll say, you know, before I can say I'm, I live in Columbia, Kentucky, you know, their minds are, oh, you're from Columbia, Tennessee, Right? That's where everyone's mind seems to go, Columbia, Tennessee. But then I have to give them that distinction. 
right? Just like Micah did. No, no, no. Uh, Columbia, Kentucky. There is a Columbia, Kentucky. You know, uh, and so uh, the same way Micah's given that distinction, or God's giving that distinguish, distinguishment through Micah. Bethlehem Epaphratha. You know, he's, he's narrowing it down. It's exact. Because, you know, there are many skeptics will look at, look at prophecy in the Bible, you know, and they'll say something to the effect of, well, you know, you just write it down and then you, um, then you answer it the next day. It's like the story of the guy who went uh, target practice with his buddy on his property and they're walking around and the guy notices that there's a lot of, you know, these white circles on these trees on his property and he goes up to every single one of these trees and where that white circle is and he noticed there's a a bullet hole right down the middle uh, of those uh, white circles. And he wonders, well, how are you so accurate? I mean, you're, you're just a great shot. And he said to him, well, listen, this is what I do. I shoot the tree first, and then I draw the circle. You know, some look at biblical prophecy the same way, right? Uh, they say, listen, you know, you you Christians, you, uh, you know, or the people who, who wrote the Bible, they, you know, they, they put that point in that tree and then they draw the circle around it. Well, every time those things come up, time and time again, the, the Bible is proven to be true. Just I'll give, you one, I'll give you one example, um, the Septuagint. You've heard of the Septuagint before. This is uh, you know, obviously, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and at some point around 200, or excuse me, yeah, 250 BC, uh, because Greek was the dominant language of the day, they wanted to have a version of the Old Testament written in Greek so that the everyday common person could read it. And so they had a bunch of these scholars, actually Septuagint means 70, and so they had these 70 scholars come together and they took the, the Old Testament scriptures that were written in Hebrew and they translated it into Greek. So again, that the everyday person could read that. And again, that happened around 250 B.C. Well, think of when the New Testament was written. The New Testament was written anywhere from 50 A.D. to 70 A.D., sort of in that time span, so you've got a period of about 300 years between when the Septuagint was translated into uh, Greek and when the New Testament was written. Well, again, how are these prophecies coming true when there's such a great uh, a distance between when the Septuagint was translated into Greek and when the New Testament was written? Mary and Joseph knew the Old Testament scriptures as Jews. They would have known those things. And some say, well, you know, they're simply trying to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. You know, it's the only reason these things came true, because they knew those things. And she knew that she was with child, uh, not from man, because she was a virgin, uh, but from the Holy Spirit. And she knew that he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. She would have known Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But if you're Mary and Joseph, again, are you wanting to make that 90-mile trip with child? Of course not. Uh, maybe, again, maybe they would have been reminded at that time of, well, you remember the matriarch of our nation, Rachel, and what happened when she traveled uh, so late in her term as well. Mary was not in Bethlehem because she wanted to be there, nor because she was trying to draw a circle around that bullseye, but she was there 
Again, because the Roman emperor, we read about in Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus commanded that they be there at that time. You know, Caesar was a puppet in the hands of God. This was all providentially happening, orchestrating this whole event. And as we see in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 6, again, Matthew attributes this whole, um, this verse here to that exact thing. Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 6, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And again, here's another link to Bethlehem, this undeniable fulfillment of prophecy. And it's just every time uh, you study these things, it just it sort of gives you that wow factor uh, about these uh, linkages. And so when you think of Bethlehem, again, what do you think of? Uh, yes, the birthplace of Jesus, the Savior of the world. But again, do you see how these things all link together? How, how Rachel died on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Uh, the people revered her memory. Uh, and they attributed that to going into captivity. And also uh, Herod killing the, those babies in, uh, during the time that Jesus was born. And again, Ruth. Ruth marrying a man from Bethlehem. And because of that, David would eventually be born in Bethlehem. And again, Mary and Joseph, they didn't have to go there uh, to register. But or they had to go there to register. And Mary gives birth there in Bethlehem. And it's just amazing when you see all of these things click together, all these links together. But it is fitting as we close this lesson here tonight. It is fitting that Bethlehem means house of bread. Right? This is where our Lord and Savior came into the world in the flesh. And again, not because he was born into royalty or riches or a celebrity. Uh, he wasn't born uh, into a significant family or a cultural family or educational or socially or again politically or some political city like Jerusalem or Rome. But it's Bethlehem, right? the house of bread. Bread is the, one of the most common things in life, one of the most common foods in life. And without it, man would not have survived. And God wanted his son to be common in the sense that he is available to all. John chapter 6, verse 35, remember what Jesus says. I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. This evening, as we offer the invitation, have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life? Have you put on Christ in baptism? Have you become a part of the New Testament church that we read about in the New Testament? This evening as well, if you need the prayers of the congregation, the encouragement or strength that the brothers and sisters here can provide, if there's anything that we can do, please let us know as together we stand and sing.